1 Samuel and chapters 1 and 2 we'll be looking at. We're continuing with our series on famous mothers from the Bible. And today we come to one of my favorites, uh, Hannah. Uh, Hannah was the mother of Samuel the prophet. And uh, she is a wonderful example to us of prayer. Of prayer. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Hannah the praying mother. Once again, as with all of these messages, even though these messages are about mothers, famous mothers from the Bible, right? So they're about mothers and, uh, and somewhat directed towards mothers, uh, they still apply to all of us. They deal with biblical principles, and God's Word is always appropriate and alive to each one of us. So we're going to be working our way through uh, various passages in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, not the whole chapters, but various sections. But to get started, I just want to read verses 1 through 8 from the first chapter. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. There was a certain man uh, from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. We're going to quiz you on that later, so make sure you've got all those details. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, uh, that's Penina, uh, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you disheartened? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? This is the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, as we peer into the life of Hannah today and and, uh, we look at her struggles, uh, we look at her victories, Uh, Lord, we want to see how you work in our lives through prayer, in prayer, in answer to prayer. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts to you and to your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, work in us, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So when we first encounter Hannah in in these verses, she is suffering terribly. Not only is she barren, but her husband, Elkanah, he has another wife named Penina. Not only that, but Penina has children, a lot of them, while Hannah does not. Not only that, but when they go up to the feast in Shiloh each year, she is reminded of her barrenness as Elkanah gives portions of meat to Elkanah and all of her sons and daughters. He tries to make it up to her by giving her a double portion, but she sees what's going on. And not only that, but Penina, her rival, is cruel to her, intentionally provoking her until she breaks down crying. They're at a feast, right? Can you imagine not eating at Thanksgiving? She breaks down crying and is unable to eat. What do you do when you are hurting and suffering? 
You bring it to the Lord in prayer. And that's exactly what we see Hannah doing here in 1 Samuel. We're actually going to look at two prayers of Hannah here in 1 Samuel today. In chapter 1, we see Hannah's prayer of despair. And then in chapter 2, we see her prayer of triumph. Both are important. Both teach us important truths about prayer for our own lives. There is an outline in your worship guide this morning if you'd like to take that out at this time to follow along or to jot down some notes as we go. And we begin with Hannah's prayer of despair in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And even in despair, Hannah models prayer for us in some deeply meaningful ways. You'll see them laid out in your outline. Let's take a look at them. First of all, Hannah models for us honest prayer. I love that. Hannah models for us honest prayer. Let's pick up the, up the story now in verse 9, verses 9 and 10. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting down on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. So they'd all come to Shiloh for the, peace, for the feast. And as usual, uh, Hannah's so upset, she, she, she hasn't even eaten. She gets up, she goes to the temple where she weeps and weeps and prays to the Lord. Did you know that you can be honest before the Lord in prayer? That you don't need to come to God pretending to be someone you are not, pretending that you've got it all together, putting on a bold face for God who sees your heart anyways, right? That you can pour out your heart to God with all of your questions, with all of your suffering, with all of your pain. Hannah knew that. Honest prayer. Hannah poured out her heart to God, and God heard her prayer. Hannah, first of all, models honest prayer for us. And then secondly, Hannah models for us earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. Look at verse 11. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him, her son, to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And so as as Hannah prays for a son, she also makes a very solemn vow to God. It's a Nazarite vow. The book of Numbers in the Bible describes the Nazarite vow. It's usually where a man or a woman would separate themselves to the Lord for a period of time. It was a temporary vow. And during the time of their vow, no razor would be used on their head. Here, Hannah shows the earnestness of her prayer by offering to dedicate her son to the Lord, not just for a season, okay? Not just a temporary vow, but for all the days of his life earnest prayer. And then thirdly, Hannah models for us fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Look at verses 12 through 14. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. 
Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Hannah was praying so fervently in her heart that her lips were moving even as she prayed, even though no sound was coming out. Eli, the priest, he's watching her. Now, we saw back in verse 9, you probably didn't pick up on it, it's okay, that Eli was sitting down, that he was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the temple. And our message is not on Eli right now, but if you ever follow Eli's story through the Bible, almost every time uh, you see him, he's always sitting down. He's always sitting in a chair. Just doesn't seem to be a very energetic man. And I bring that up because Eli's sluggishness here stands in stark contrast to Hannah's fervency in prayer. And Eli was not only sluggish physically, apparently he was sluggish spiritually as well. He was not able to discern. Here he is, the priest, the high priest. He was not able to discern that Hannah was a woman engaging in deep and heartfelt prayer. And so when he sees Hannah's lips moving but not speaking out loud, he thinks she's drunk. He rebukes her. Hannah protests. Verses 15 and 16, she says, Not so, my Lord. Not so. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And what Eli thought was drunkenness was simply Hannah praying fervently to the Lord. She was praying in her heart. But Eli only saw the lips. God saw Hannah's heart. And God knew the fervency of her prayer. Do you pray fervently to the Lord? You know, we need to be careful not to let ourselves become sluggish or dull or listless or habitual or rote in our prayers. God is a great God, and we should pray to Him with great spirit and zeal. God hears and honors fervent prayer. And then fourthly, Hannah models for us humble prayer. Humble prayer. Look at verses 17 and 18 now. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And to Eli's credit, he recognizes that Hannah is telling the truth. He pronounces a blessing on her in keeping with his priestly office. He does not know what she was asking God, but he gives her his blessing of peace and he prays that God may grant her request. Hannah humbly identifies herself as Eli's servant. And she asks to find favor in his eyes. And there's a play on words here. uh, Because Hannah's name actually means favor or grace. That's what the word Hannah means. So Hannah, grace, asks for grace. It's marvelous. 
Hannah knows that Eli is the priest, and as a priest, Eli represents God to the people. And so Hannah is really submitting herself to God and to his will here, just as Pastor Dan shared with us in our call to worship, submitting herself to God and his will. She is humbly seeking God's favor and grace. And then finally for this section, not only does Hannah model for us honest, earnest, fervent, and humble prayer, we also see that Hannah is changed by prayer. She is changed by prayer. Look at the end of verse 18 with me now. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Notice, notice something here. Notice that God has not yet answered Hannah's prayer, right? She doesn't know if God is going to give her a son, and yet her spirit is lifted. She goes her way. She finally eats something. Her face is no longer downcast. Here's a very important principle about prayer, okay? Before prayer changes anything else, prayer is first meant to change us. Let me say that again. Before prayer changes anything else, prayer is first meant to change us. And when we come before the Lord in prayer, when we pour out our hearts to Him, we will be changed simply by spending time in God's presence. Know this, God is working in your heart and life. And he not only wants to change others through your prayers, he not only wants to change circumstances through your prayers, he wants to change you. He wants to change you. And so long before Hannah receives an answer to her prayer, she receives something even better. She finds peace, peace for her heart, peace for her soul. She knows that God has heard her prayer, and she leaves the timing and the results up to him. Well, the first Samuel chapter 1 gives us Hannah's prayer of despair. First Samuel chapter 2 gives us her prayer of triumph. Because in this case, God does answer Hannah's prayer. He does give her a son. She names him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And after Samuel is weaned, she brings him to the temple. She gives him to the Lord in fulfillment of her vow. And that is when we come to Hannah's prayer of triumph. It is a marvelous prayer. It's it's part prayer, part prophecy, Part song. And if I were to try to sum up uh, all of everything that Hannah says in her prayer here, I would say it this way. What is her prayer all about? God is in control, therefore rejoice. That's what her prayer is all about here in chapter 2. God is in control, therefore rejoice. And it's sometimes so hard for us to see this, isn't it, when we're going through a difficult time. And that's when it can be helpful for us to hear the testimony of someone else who has gone through a difficult time of their own and they have already passed through to the other side. And that's where Hannah's prayer comes in for us today. This prayer, this song, this is her testimony. 
This is her testimony, not only of what God has done in her life, but of how God operates in all of life. And so it is also meant to be an encouragement to us. And Hannah just simply overcome by emotion at God's gracious dealings with her. Hannah rejoices in God's sovereign rule over all things. She cries out, my heart rejoices in God. This is her story. This is her song. Let's take a look at it now together. She begins by proclaiming, there is no one like God. There is no one like God. And she says several things about this. First of all, she says, no one rescues like God. No one rescues like God. Look at verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Now, in the Bible, a horn, it's a poetical image. It's a It's a symbol of strength. Notice Hannah does not claim any strength of her own here. She says, in the Lord, my horn is lifted high. In the Lord, my strength is lifted up. God is the one who gives us strength when we are weak. God is the one who renews our strength when we are weary. Hannah says, her mouth boasts over her enemies. You might wonder, well, what enemies is she talking about here? Yeah, is, is it Penina, her rival, uh, who was always provoking her for such a long time? And, but, you know, Penina was probably one of her enemies. But I think Hannah is mainly thinking here about the barrenness in her life as her enemy. Because even apart from Penina, her barrenness had been a great source of sorrow and suffering to her for a long time. But now, she's been rescued. She's given birth to a son. Her mouth boasts over her enemies. She says, Lord, I delight in your deliverance. God has rescued her. He has turned Hannah's weakness to strength. He has overcome her enemies. He has turned her sorrow into gladness. Why? Because that's what God does. No one rescues like God. And then Hannah goes on to say that no one is holy like God. Look at verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. When we say that God is holy, we mean, first of all, that God is separate from all of His creation. God is above all things. He is before all things. He is sovereign over all things. God's holiness also refers to His righteousness and His purity, that God is perfectly holy and just. And that's a really important thing, okay, for us to know when we're talking about God being sovereign, when we're talking about God being in control. Because think about it for a moment, right? If an unholy God, if an unrighteous God, if an unjust God was in control of the universe... I don't know about you, but I would not find that very comforting. But God is holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, perfect in power, in love, and purity. You cannot compare God to anyone else. There is no one holy like the Lord. No one rescues like God. No one is holy like God. And then thirdly, no one protects like God. 
That's what Hannah says here at the end of verse 2. She says, there is no rock like our God. And in the Bible, a rock, that meant a place of safety and refuge. You may look to all sorts of things in life as, as your refuge or safety net. Let me tell you this morning, there is no safer place for you to be than in the hands of God. And no matter what trials you may be going through today, when God is your rock, you are safe, you are protected. That's the first thing Hannah tells us in her prayer of triumph. There's no one like God. No one rescues like God. No one is holy like God. No one protects like God. No wonder Hannah proclaims, my heart rejoices in God. And then in the the second part of her song, Hannah talks about how God both humbles and exalts. Look at verses 3 through 5 now, where she says, Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warrior are broken, but those who stumble, they're armed with strength. Those who who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry, hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. And here, Hannah gives us three examples of what we might call reversals of fortune in life. Reversals of fortune. Three contrasts. She contrasts the warrior with those who stumble. She contrasts those who are full with those who hunger. And then she contrasts the barren woman with the woman who has many sons. And what does she say about each of these? She says, well, the warrior's weapons can be broken. Well, those who were stumbling suddenly find themselves in a position of strength, reversal of fortune. Those who are full go hungry. Well, those who are hungry find plenty of food, reversal of fortune. She who is barren gives birth to seven sons, while she who had many sons pines away. Reversal. The seven sons here in verse 5, they're symbolic. Seven is the number of perfection or completeness in the Bible. And so seven sons would be uh, really symbolic of a complete reversal of fortune from a barren state. And of course, this last example would have had a very special meaning for Hannah and her song because that had been her situation, right? She was the barren woman. And Hannah doesn't know it yet, but God is going to bless her with five more children after Samuel. She's going to have three more sons, two daughters, six children in all. And these three examples demonstrate to us, they remind us that just because you are in a certain position today, just because you are in a certain position today, whether good or hard or or difficult, it does not mean you are going to be in the same position tomorrow. You know, life throws you some pretty strange curveballs at times, doesn't it? You never know what tomorrow might bring. And that can be unsettling, isn't it? It's unsettling to think that everything, everything could change in a moment. 
But that's when Hannah gives us the second part of this truth, that these reversals of fortune are not a result of random chance. Praise God. Rather, it is God. God is the one who humbles and exalts. Verses 6 through 8. Look at it with me. It's the Lord who brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And so God is the giver and taker of life. God is the one who sends both poverty and wealth. God is the one who both humbles and exalts. In other words, God is sovereign. God is in control. And therefore, no matter what our circumstances, we can rejoice in him. Or as Hannah puts it in the final section of her song now, God rules over everything. God rules over everything. She makes three assertions about God's sovereign rule here. First, God will establish his people, verses 8 and 9, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. And the picture here is of God picking up the whole world, okay? Can you imagine that? Picking up the whole world and setting it on its foundations. It's a poetic way of saying that God both created and sustains the world. And here's the point for you or me. If God created and sustains the whole universe... Surely he can take care of his people as well. Surely he can take care of you as well. That's the whole point here. The God who established the earth, who set the world on its foundations, he will guard the feet or the way of his saints, Hannah says. His saints is just another way of saying his people. God takes care of his people. How do you become a part of God's people? You become a part of God's people when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his son. The Bible tells us in Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, a people that are his very own. God will establish his people. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. That leads us to Hannah's second assertion about God's sovereign rule, that God will shatter his enemies. Look at verses 9 and 10. Hannah prays, it is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Hannah's enemy was her barrenness. It was something that she could not overcome in her own strength. But she called upon the Lord, and the Lord rescued her. God will rescue you from your enemies as well. What God did for Hannah, it's just a small picture, okay? It's just a small picture of what God will will do in the entire world. No one, no thing can stand in God's way. No one can thwart God's plans. God rules over everything, and he will judge the ends of the earth. God will establish his people, 
He will shatter his enemies. And then finally, Hannah asserts that God will give strength to his king. Look at the end of verse 10 with me now. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn. Remember, that means strength. The horn of his anointed. And this part of Hannah's song is prophetic. It is prophetic in two ways, okay? First of all, it is prophetic of King David. Remember, at the time that Hannah sang this song, there is no king in Israel. There are no kings in Israel. Israel is still under the rule of the judges. But God's purpose, God's plan was for Samuel to be born at this time because Samuel is the one who's going to lead Israel through the process of anointing their first king. And so Hannah's song is prophetic, first of all, of King David and the whole line of kings that would follow him. But then secondly, it is also prophetic of Jesus, the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed. Anointed. It it comes from this exact same word we have here in 1 Samuel 2.10, the Lord's anointed. This is the very first time in the entire Bible that you find this word used to describe a king rather than a priest. Up to this time, it's only described the priests who are anointed by God. Now, for the first time, it is used to describe a king. And over time, Israel would come to understand that God was going to send his Messiah, the anointed one, a king from David's line who would reign forever. See, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings, they were all anointed. When Jesus came, he came as prophet, priest, and king in fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. And so, yes, in in, in answer to Hannah's prayer here and in fulfillment of her prophecy, yes, God would give strength to David. God would exalt David's horn as the anointed king of Israel. But know this, this verse finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Centuries after Hannah sang her song, God chose another young Israelite woman to give birth to Jesus the Messiah. Her name was Mary, and when she learned that she would give birth to Jesus, just like Hannah, she sang a song. Uh, In fact, it's very similar to Hannah's song. We often call it the Magnificat. We read it from the Gospel of Luke earlier in the service today. Later on, you could uh, open up the Gospel of Luke and 1 Samuel and compare those two songs. What is this telling us? Mary's son, Jesus, is the true anointed king. He is the Son of God who rules over everything. Folks, what what a difference, right? What a difference we find in Hannah from chapter 1 in 1 Samuel to chapter 2, right? Back in chapter 1, Hannah wept and prayed to the Lord in the bitterness of her soul. And now in chapter 2, she sings a song of praise and thanksgiving. My heart rejoices in the Lord. And what was the difference? Simply this. Hannah had learned that there is no one like God. She had learned that God is the one who humbles and exalts. 
She had learned that God rules over everything in the world. Let me wrap this up for us now. God accomplishes His purposes in this world through prayer. That's how God does it. He doesn't have to. He could work some other way if He wanted to, but He chooses to. God chooses to work in and through your prayers to accomplish His purposes. Now, that does not mean that God is always going to answer your prayers exactly the way you want Him to. But it means something better. It means that when you pray, you are participating with God to fulfill His purposes in your life and in the world. And so if you have never been a praying person, let me encourage you this morning to pray. Talk to God. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. Be honest with Him. Confess your sin to Him. Ask Him for the faith to believe. Put your trust in Jesus, His Son, as your Savior. Because here's another principle about prayer from the Scriptures. When you pray, something always changes. Always, every time. Prayer always changes things because that is how God chooses to act. God is in control, therefore, rejoice. No matter what your circumstances, when you are in Christ, you can always say with Hannah, with Hannah the praying mother, my heart rejoices in God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for Hannah's example in prayer. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for recording these prayers for us, for our benefit. Uh, Lord, help us in our prayer life. Too often we, um, we slow down in our prayers and we're not honest and earnest and fervent and humble before you. Lord, help us to learn the lessons from Hannah and to come boldly and with zeal and eagerness to you in prayer, knowing that our prayers make a difference every time, and that you are a good and gracious God who delights to answer our prayers, and who so graciously you have invited us to participate with you in your, your plan for the whole world. Thank you, God. These things are too amazing for us to take in but they do cause us to worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.